There's a tendency to uh, broadly categorize companies on the assumption that they're similar or will likely follow a similar fate. And uh, investors and economists often coin catchy acronyms to describe seemingly similar groups of companies. All countries, you've got BRICS, but a close look often reveals that the grouping has little in common. Take the FANGs, for example, named after Facebook uh, before it became Meta, Amazon, Netflix and Google before it became Alphabet. And then later with the uh, addition of Apple, it was FANGs with a double A. But does this grouping make much investment sense? Can you as an investor invest based on an acronym? Well, Victor Mapunga, Old Mutual Senior Research Analyst at Private Client Securities, you've done some analysis. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Who first coined the FANGS acronym? Uh, hi, Michael, and thanks for having me here. I think it was um, I think it was Jim Cramer a few a few years ago. Uh, you know, he he came up with uh, with with that Fangs acronym. But what's uh, what's quite interesting is since he coined it, you know, probably about what four years ago or so. You know, that acronym has changed a lot. You know, I think at some point it was Gaffa. I mean, you mentioned the name changes, um, and then I think at some point it was Mangs, and, and now I think the most recent one is is Mama, right? And most people have kind of lost track. But I think what it just points out is that you know what you say. In your introduction, they're trying to group these businesses together. It's, it's not really meaningful, you know. Uh, mm. Apart from the catchy acronym, they probably don't have much much in common. And, and I think we've started to see that, uh, you know, over the last, uh, you'll say, what two years or so. Yeah, and I think uh, Jim Cramer has now become probably more renowned for his famous kiss of death. Whenever he seems to endorse the stock, it's it, uh, likely to crash in the ensuing weeks. But if you look at how the fangs have fared during the last couple of years, uh, before we go into the individual stocks, uh, how have they done over the last two years? Because what we're also seeing currently in the market is a something of a, a swing away from growth into value as interest rates rise. Over the last two years, though, in the pandemic, how have the fangs fared? Yeah, look, I think uh, Warren Buffett said it said it best eh? when he said, uh, you know, it's only when the tide goes out that you discover who's been who's been swimming naked. And, yeah. and I think over the last you know, two years, one can almost think of of the pandemic as that tide. You know, we just revealed which of these businesses have a strong as a strong model and which ones have, have a weak model. If you just look at the difference in performance from the best performing to the worst performing among these big tech companies, I think it's a difference of about over 150%, uh, you know, over the two years. And if you actually go further out, say three years, four years, five years, that, that gap actually widens, you know, and so while it's, you know, most people kind of group them together and sort of say, look, you know, do you like the big tech companies? I think that's, that's really a long, a wrong way to think about it, you know, just given how their performances have diverged over the last two years or so. So let's look into the individual stocks then. And uh, in your note, you started Microsoft. Uh, it's the oldest, uh, the granddaddy of the lot. So, so it sort of makes sense to start with Microsoft. Good earnings last week. What is the overall investment uh, thesis for Microsoft? Yeah, I think what's what's what stands out, you know, when you sort of think of Microsoft amongst the big tech companies, just how well diversified that that business is. Uh, mm. You know, and if you compare it just to a decade ago, you know, they generated uh, close to sixty percent off of their revenue uh, from selling uh, licenses on on premise. You know, today their largest segment contributes just over thirty percent, so they are by far the most diversified off of the big technology company. And you know, that also speaks to how. The business over time is always able to sort of reinvent itself. You know, the example that I often like to give is one of the software like Microsoft PowerPoint. You know, this is an acquisition that they did way back in the the eighties. Mm. You know, and yet today, you know, that's still a software that 
people would actually think of as business critical, right? You know, people run to that whenever there's a presentation. And more recently, you know, with the acquisition or the intention to acquire Activision Blizzard, I think it's just speaking to that reinvention again. Say so this is a business that always invests in their software, and when they don't have um, the offering in-house, they go out and make uh, an acquisition, and they're doing that in the gaming. They've done that with LinkedIn. And those are some of the things that excite us about Microsoft. Yeah, and proven proven to be really good capital allocate, allocators in that sense. Uh, Sachin Nadella doing a, a really good job there. Amazon, you call misunderstood and underestimated. Why? Yeah, now Amazon is one of those one of those businesses that if you you ask uh, people who use it uh, regularly or you utilize their services, you know most people would think of that business uh, as a retailer. But if you yeah. actually look according to industry classification, they're not even regarded as a as a as a retailer, right? Um, the bulk of their profits actually come from Amazon Web Services, and 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 that's sort of speaking to 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 software. And what Amazon has been able to do very well over time is that. Through Amazon Web Services, they generate a lot of profit, generate a lot of free cash flow, um, and then they use that uh, cash flow to to invest in other parts of of their businesses, uh, you know, logistics, infrastructure, more employees, better service, you know, sort of the retail size of their business. So you know, to sort of think of that business purely as a as a retailer, I think it underestimates what they're doing in many other in many other parts in which they operate. And it's also such a data rich business. You know, I was emceeing a, um, an event for IT Web recently where uh, one of the presenters using PowerPoint <laughs> presented on the top uh, five companies in the world. And, and what they really have in common is their ability to leverage data. Uh, and really speaking to the fact that, and we've heard it all before, data is the new oil or, you know, in, in God we trust everyone else bring data. But Amazon is one company that has proven it's got the ability through its algorithms to use that data to just give us the kinds of products and services that we're looking for better than most companies. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if you think back to where they started, right, uh, they were selling uh, books online um, and the way they were able to differentiate themselves was just getting that, that algorithm right. And that continues till, till today. I mean, one example, just more recent, that comes to mind is just with their fulfillment centers. You know how, you know, over the last two years, they've doubled the number of fulfillment centers that they had, which up until that up until the pandemic started, it's taken them 25 years to build. And if you compare the fulfillment centers that they build now, and they say on average it takes them about two hours, you know, from the time that an order is placed until a package is out of those fulfillment centers. You compare that with the, f- the centers that they were building 20 years ago. It used to take them more than 20 hours, you know, and that's just oh. speaking to the use of data. Uh, a lot of those facilities are now, you know, you have robots that are packaging, that are moving goods around, and that's just speaking to to, to data. And you know, Amazon Web Services is, is another example, right? That was a service that they started for themselves internally, and when they saw how well those cloud services were working internally, they then rolled them out for other businesses, and now today they're the largest player within that market. So data has always been an integral part of their business and they continue to use that. And continues to grow at uh, phenomenal rates, uh, you know, above 30% per yeah. annum. That's significant run rate uh, in terms of growth for that business. And then uh, you know, Meta and Alphabet, uh, the, the last two here that are, if you look at them, undergoing a transformation, at least a rebranding. You know, Facebook changed its name to Meta. It had all the scandals around Cambridge Analytica and privacy and what it's doing with our our data, our personal data, and uh, yeah. and and then Google changed its name to Alphabet. Um, I, I think probably more to demonstrate its diversification than anything else. Um, they've been slightly divergent, though, in uh, in certainly in public perception. 
um, I would imagine. Uh, but if you look at the, the revenue sources, advertising, they're, they're very similar. How do you see these companies faring? You know, look, I, mean, I think amongst the big technology companies, these are the two that are that are most most similar. And apart from the name changes, as you as you rightly point out, you know, they're both quite reliant on on advertising. There are also some distinct differences between the two. You know, uh, for Meta or Facebook, as it's more commonly known, you know, it's it's all social media advertising. They are the biggest player within that market, and most of the apps that are downloaded, and I'm sure you know many listeners use, you know, they belong to them. Um, Alphabet, on the other hand, you know, while advertising is a big part of their business, there's, there's actually a little bit more diversification in that business. Um, and I think YouTube comes to mind. And this is, you know, one of the subsidiaries within the big tech companies that probably doesn't get the attention that, that it deserves. You know, if you kind of look at, you know, the top downloaded apps, you know, this is, YouTube is consistently up there, you know, mm-hmm. at the moment competing with, with, with TikTok, right? And I think the key um, for one key appeal of YouTube is just the broad appeal that it has amongst users of, of all ages. You know, if you kind of think of all the other social media platforms, you know, they tend to cater to, cater to a certain age category, you mm. know, the, the very young or the much older. Kind of don't have that with YouTube. You know, I, I often joke with my colleagues and say, look, my three-year-old uh, watches YouTube, and I often think that my 63-year-old mother watches too much YouTube. <laughs> and that just speaks to its... That just speaks to its broad appeal, right? Um, yeah. You know, amongst 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 users, I, I have that issue with uh, with my four and seven year old on YouTube as well, who are always on <laughs> those channels where the the content creators are unpackaging new toys and dolls, and then they drag me to the shops to to go get them. So it's a very fact effective platform for advertisers as well. And uh, yeah. I, I was shifted because I'm an Android user into YouTube. YouTube's um, music app as well. And initially, I didn't quite like it. I've got Spotify as well, but it's it's growing on me. So, um, yeah, out of the two, I would certainly um, uh, be favoring Alphabet slightly over Meta at the moment. And you also touch on here the, the regulatory issues. And that's really, I think, the big issue that's been facing Facebook or, or Meta has been this regulatory scrutiny from uh, regulators uh, in the capital over in the US and also you know, in the EU and elsewhere. And you've done some very interesting um, research into how much these companies are spending on lobbying. And there's obviously a relationship here between lobbying and, and whether or not you feel you, you're going to be um, clamped down on by the regulators. What does it reveal? Yeah, you know, that's, that's very interesting. You know, as, as, as you rightly point out, this is probably the biggest concern you know, amongst all the big technology companies from a, from a risk perspective uh, by way of regulation. Um, however, what's, what we, sort of our sense around it is that, you know, while it's a risk for all of them, um, this is not a risk that's evenly spread amongst the big technology companies. You know, if you look at just how much each of these companies has spent over the last three years uh, lobbying U.S. senators specifically for, for favorable regulation, uh, Meta has actually spent more than uh, than the competitors, despite the fact that they're actually the small of the big technology companies, and that figure has been increasing every year over the last three years. Um, interestingly, uh, Apple has actually gone the other way. You know, they're actually decreasing, and we think that, that that is actually quite reflective of which of the big technology companies faces the biggest risk from a regulatory perspective. And Meta and Amazon, I think they kind of stand out in that regard. Um, and, mm-hmm. and for Meta specifically, I think that most recently played out when... Uh, Apple uh, recently blocked some of the uh, data that uh, Facebook previously had to iOS users. And the estimate is that that's going to cost Meta about $10 billion this year. You know, And that's just regulatory risk uh, playing out there. So while it's all of them face that risk, you certainly think there are others that are more at risk than, than, than that. 
Absolutely, and that's why you know the devil is in the detail, as they say, and uh, also why you know it may be nice to have a catchy name or an acronym grouping uh, uh, on the surface seemingly similar companies together. But when you do the research and you do your due diligence, you you really realise that they are quite different, and uh, that's what investors should be doing. Victor Maponga, senior research analyst at Private Client Securities, with uh, his bite into the fangs here on Hot Business. Hot one hundred two seven business with. Michael Avery.